From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, tonight we are talking about Occupation Rainfall. It's 2020 when we saw it, but it might be coming out in 2021 throughout the world. It is a sequel and this is our sweet sequel of a sorts because we've already done Occupation. Because we did Occupation, yes. And we also spoke to Luke. So we've done a lot of talking about occupation, and uh, that's what we're going to be on about tonight, Sorry. So I'm going to give you the normal spoiler warning, but because we went to a special premiere event at Monster, Monster, Fest, Monster. Monster Fest 2020, Monster. Uh, I believe there's going to be a, another sort of worldwide distribution later on yeah. this year or early next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to, before we do like a, a proper talk about all the, the plot and everything, we'll wait for that yeah. to come out. We will. But do go and watch the film. If you get the chance to see this film, go see it. Come back and listen to us. Yeah, definitely. So we're not going to get heavy into the plot, but just to give you a little setup of the synopsis. And this is pretty much available online, so I'm not giving anything away. Occupation Rainfall is set two years after the invasion that we first see in Occupation. Uh, Humans are still in this really violent battle with the alien invading force. Um, Some of the aliens have uh, sided with the humans and they're helping them out. And it gets a little bit deeper in this film about kind of what that means to both humans and aliens, which I got very excited about. Um, And they in the plot of this film kind of sets up that the humans in Sydney find out that um, the aliens are looking for a special code called rainfall and that kind of ensures that the survivors of the human survivors need to go searching for it and at the same time the aliens are searching for it and while all that all that is happening there's just this major battle going on for earth so who will survive sorry you need to go and check out this movie to find out i mean it's not me they've got to survive who will survive the alien invasion yes not me well, you're human. Aren't you? oh, who will survive? Sorry. <laughs> We're space brains. We will survive anything. We, we transcend physical form. So, what was your number one takeaway from Occupation Rainfall, Surrey? My number one takeaway is that the Australian outback doesn't have to look like Croc Dundee's territory. <laughs> it can look like an almost alien world that is just teeming with mystery mm. and excitement. Yeah. And it's. This this movie betrays the Australian outback in a way that I've not seen before. Yeah. That's yeah. my number one takeaway. There was some pretty cool settings used by Luke in this story. Um, you know, up in the mountains, out, you know, looking out at a science exploration sort of field. So I totally agree that it wasn't that traditional Australian outback. 
No, and uh, I have to ask you, was his hope warning or experiment? Well, I think like the first film, it's still hopeful. The humans here uh, are battling away, you know, against this massive invading force and they're still going for it, aren't they? They're still fighting the good fight. And it's still hope of, yeah, a good resolution. It is. Not an extinction resolution. Extinction, yeah. There's still hope, which we had in the first film. And I know when we spoke to Luke, he said he's kind of an optimistic kind of guy. And to me, I, I saw that again in this sequel, that there still is hope. The humans are fighting the good fight here in Australia and Sydney, but they're also trying to do it to get the best outcome for the planet, for humans and the aliens. Mm. So I think that's where, for me, it comes back to human uh, hope. Sorry, hope. Yeah, hope being the winner. And what about... You and I went and sat hand in hand in a big cinema in Perth at Monster Fest. There was other people in the movie theatre, which is a little bit unusual for you and I. Uh, it was scary. How did that make you feel, sorry? Frankly, it was frightening feel? having other people around. But the movie <laughs> made me feel uh, exhilarated. It yep. was nonstop action. The sound, uh, you know, oh, in this big event, event cinema thing, like yeah. those machine guns firing and mm. you felt it in your guts. And you the, did. The spacecraft went whooshing past and I could feel my trouser legs like down near my ankles wobbling mm. with the base. I felt your trousers <laughs> vibrating. <laughs> Some people in dark cinemas have felt my trouser legs before. Oh, okay. <laughs> Probably we, we shouldn't go there. Space the popcorn brains. was vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you kept it on your lap the whole reach, time. Reach down deeper, you'll find the butter. That's right. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the, the movie, it was, it was exciting, uh, humorous in parts. Humorous as well, which was a good surprise. We, we did have a little conversation. Was it pushing too humorous in parts? I don't think so. But I think it was yeah, good. We fell down on the side of... It was just the right amount of icebreaker for the tension because we mm. began tension, 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 tension. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of ease, but still with some seriousness. It was good. It was good. I, I, I um, agree. Well, that, that vibration in the cinema was amazing. Oh, the, the sound on that. Because when we, when we spoke to Luke, he said that he'd been working with the Dolby Atmos mm. and he had some massive speakers in his, yeah. I think his apartment. He, I think he's done the really cool thing. For a cinema experience, oh, he said that cinema is where he wants to see. Yeah, he's seen, and he's and nailed it. I agree; it's yep. fantastic. So, what was your first impression? I was blown away by the level of action. You know, I mean, we had planes fighting alien spacecraft. We had those massive machine guns on the back of military um, tanks, and uh, what are they called? Those Hummers, you know, flying through the outback. Uh, we had alien uh, kind of spacecraft on different levels, not just the things flying in space, but things lower levels. Almost um, hovercrafty type hovercrafty things. Hovercrafty kind yeah. of things. We had different, um, you know, battles between the humans and the aliens. And the, that level of action, I said it to you actually after we left, that like I, I would not be surprised if Luke is just going to be hauled away to Hollywood and be thrown on a couple of big action blockbusters. So I know here we talk about science fiction, but I could just imagine him then, you know, directing 
a massive, you know, huge well, scope film. Think, out of think of it this you know? way: he was saying that one of his, uh, one of the people he likes, so he likes really George Lucas and Spielberg. Yeah. They're the obvious choices. Yes, yeah. and we could see that. Like you could see, a he, he's to also Spielberg, Jurassic Park. You know, that, he's also a bit of a fan you know? of the uh, Michael Bay action because yeah. if someone does epic. It's Michael Bay. Mm, the whole Transformer thing. But yeah, stuff, yeah, so so you get uh, you get old Luke up there. Yeah, and, I just, I just, and just, he's he's walking in those in you know in that same direction. Yeah, I mean, you and I being '90s kids, you know, we grew up in that era of um, you know John Woo action. Oh yes. You know when he was uh, again, it's a really good example. You know, in his hometown, in his home country, huge director. And Hollywood just were like, yoink, come over here. Mission Impossible for you. Yeah, well, even before Mission Impossible, it's uh, Face Off. Oh, face uh, Off, yeah. You know, with uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, John Travolta, like huge 90s actors from action. And let's just, yep, how much money do you want? <laughs> like, And how many guns do you want? How many explosions do you want? You go for it. Well, it's you John Woo, like, you only need two guns. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. It's just One throw them all yeah. at him, you know? And I, I don't know, I got a similar gut feeling from this, you know? It's just like... Here's a guy, Luke Spark, who's probably, he's going to get recruited from. I'd be very surprised if he's not helming some big Hollywood film after this. Um, but maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe he wants to stick, stick with breaking down the barriers of us in Australia, which, you know, recently we've watched a few Australian sci-fi and we're like, wow, we're hitting it, we're hitting it well. Um, I think if you watch this film, Occupation Rainfall, you will get blown away by how big that scale mm. that he's created. You know, this is on par with stuff like Independence Day from the 90s. You know, like as in the big action sequences, the blink, the big plane sequences and aliens versus humans and um, just that pure action side of what would happen if an alien force uh, invaded. You know, those those huge rectangular spaceships that come and, you know, attack the base versus the uh, Australian army base, like, that is just an enormous scene on a massive scale, isn't it? And it's really pulled off. Like, there's attention to detail, there's major action, there's emotional kind of stakes at ra- uh, being raised the whole time. So as an audience, you're just kind of on a real roller coaster. And there's war crimes. Yeah. The whole lot. It's fantastic. <laughs> so so what was my first impression? I'm just like, wow, I'm blown away by this this piece of uh, Australian cinematic history, I think. This has to go I, down. I, I think there's a very good chance that this will be one of those... I mean, as you said, there's been a couple that mm. have been really kind of exploring different boundaries. Yeah. And, we, and you know, we just did Infinity, and Infinity, that was interesting. Oh my, yeah, Infinity just... That, that floored me with what this guy Shane Abbas did in a Sydney warehouse... Uh, with a couple million bucks, mm. holy cow! Yeah, and I think we're seeing we're seeing uh, Luke, you know, maybe take a couple of extra mil than that in Finney, but he's still he's doing something that you know out of Hollywood would probably cost a couple of hundred million dollars. Well, know? yeah, you take Independence Day, and the fact is, our, our computer graphics have expanded since then, so mm. that's a lot more accessible. Take out Will Smith's salary, take out Jeff Goldblum, and yeah, um, and. Bill Pullman and yeah, yeah take Pullman. take their salaries out and replace them with, you know, um, some Australian domestic actors. Australian actors yeah. who are probably happy for it. Unfortunately, cross some a, zero a cheese, probably happy with a cheese sandwich and a pat <laughs> on the back. You know, like uh, that's what we have to do with in Australia. But uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, incredible, really, what uh, Luke has achieved here. 
And what was your, do you have a favourite scene in this film, sorry? Something that really just stood out, you know, for a uh, reason? Like, what was something that in, the, in this viewing experience do you think that you, that you walked away with in a, in a particular oh, moment geez, of occupation? It's quite, quite hard to pick. Uh, I would say I really liked, can, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm actually just going to lump a whole lot in here. <laughs> I loved all of the honor being given to science fiction that's come before. Mm. The, the epic size sci-fi that's come before. There's um, Star Wars style st- space battles. There's Independence Day type alien mothership Versus action. government sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've got some, even Space Odyssey 2001 uh, honor in there. And, and this brings me down then to that scene, which is the, the, the sort of these... Spacious and and I'm not giving anything away here because it's kind of going to be a bit of a vague description. But there's basically a scene where the heroes are jumped in this flying hovercari type thing, and they're battling an alien hovercari type thing. And that to me just said like Star Wars, yeah, and uh, even things like the Matrix well, and a few of these other sort of sci-fi, but even Firefly, right? And, and Firefly, because yeah, they have that hovercraft kind of shit. And it was it was a similar thing with there were because um, Luke mentioned Serenity as and yeah. Firefly, and there was even uh, you know some horse type alien creatures were were being ridden about the place in mm. a you know in a something that was very reminiscent of like a space western like Star Wars or Serenity. Oh, Serenity, So yeah. that, that scene though there where they're doing that battle, I just immediately when I saw the way Dan Ewing's character Simo, mm. Simo the footy player. Simo. Simo, it's like, you know, jumped on board and, and overtook like Yeah. That, it just, it gave me goosebumps looking at watching it and thinking it's so, um, it's, it's an exciting scene in itself. But it also pays homage and, and gives honour to these other shows that came before it without just being a direct copy. Yes, like, yeah, of course, yeah. I, I have watched enough sci-fi enough times and dissected it in my brain enough times that I was I picked up on it. But I, I liked that it was a fresh take on a lot of yeah. it. And but it was just there were just those little crucial moments where you know there was a grenade toss, there was a grabbing hold underneath there was a yeah. you know overpowering a guard that just it it ticked a ticked a few boxes well they were still very valid for this story weren't they they weren't just like chucked into the story no, it, it for wasn't the sake it of, wasn't created just for the sake of it yeah no, that's, it was, that's the thing so you're exactly right there's a homage to the original kind of sci-fi film but then in this story it makes sense for it to be there what was one sci-fi part that you liked? Like, like give us some of the, the, the genuine sci-fi-ness that you loved. Well, there's a part in the film where uh, they talk about the bastardization of the weaponry. And I love this. I've, I mean, again, this has... It's not completely original. This has been done in other science fiction shows and movies. Uh, I won't make any particular reference, but I love that idea of you know, humans having technology and then, hey, we're going to take a bit of like, oh, the aliens can travel across the universe at the speed of light. So we're going to take that and put that into a Ford <laughs> Ford V8, you know. A DeLorean. A DeLorean. And we can fly across the universe in that. And I, I just always love that. I think it's a little bit more fantasy than science fiction, but I always love that kind of 
taking the uh, you know taking what's on offer and then running with it, I guess you know. And so that was just something that they talked about in the film. Um, they they could take the weapons. They took the human weapons and they made them alien. They upgraded uh, their aircraft. They did. They upgraded the aircraft. They had the the guns. Um, it's always always pretty cool as well. And I guess this is what a sequel can do. That you then can. So in the original film, you might have a human weapon, you know, just an old fashioned bullet gun versus the a laser gun. And then in the sequel the humans can have the laser guns. Like, I always liked that as well, you know. Like, and so the nice thing is they, they use them in a sort of appropriate way. So yeah. so their, their Jeep Humvee-style carriers had, you know, 50 caliber machine guns yep. on turrets because that's effective for that. Yes. But then their ground troops were able to carry these kind of uh, laser guns, which are a bit more effective anti-armor type yeah. of... Uh, heavy hitters, yes. but then a lot of the troops still just had you know assault rifles yeah. because they're still valuable weapons in their yeah. own right. Yeah, exactly. But they could they could mix it then this like a new role they could inc- include in their armed makeup. Yeah, and I always like that's just one thing in this film being that it is such a like you know alien versus human sort of film that I just loved that science fiction kind of concept. Um, what's have you been? What have you been up to creatively? Have you done anything science fiction uh, yeah, or I'm, film wise? Yeah, well, I just I've been watching so much Netflix. So so many so many Netflix sci fi that I, I'm actually sort of having a look at how you put together a uh, a show pitch. So I'm I'm looking at starting to throw some ideas, and I was talking with my my little daughter about some ideas and she had some genuinely quite good ideas uh, I, I sort of prompted a few things bang she came in so i am just slowly this is a very slow thing i'm putting together but it's i'm thinking i want that's something i want to practice on to see how that side of this you know we, we see the end product yeah i'm trying to figure out how the the start works now that we're sort of getting more into that i'm, I'm kind of kind of working on, on a bit of a science fiction concept that i come up with many many years ago i can't even remember so many years ago I was you want to pitch it to netflix uh well i want to go through the process of putting together a picture i don't know whether okay. I, I end up pitching it to netflix and yeah. whether it's worth my effort yeah. but it's it's constructing because i've never thought of a tv show i've done books uh and music and uh audio plays yep haven't done a tv serial and streaming TV series now have got to that point where it's acceptable to basically have a story that spans eight one-hour episodes. Yeah. Where previously they were all like Law and Order, single one-shot shows. Uh, the X-Files started as just one-shot shows. The yep. whole first season was basically one-shots. Yeah. And when they got the second season, they tied a couple back a little bit. Mm. It wasn't until like the third season they went, ooh, we could actually do a continuing story. Yeah, yeah. And now it's it's commonplace, more so yeah, more yeah. so on the streaming services because it's yeah. by demand. You can yeah. sit there and watch a watch few episodes it, in a row. Yeah, watch a few episodes in a row over a few you know over a week. You can watch a, a series. And teenagers watch eight in a row. Yeah, they don't have little children themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I'm very interested in, in looking at that because it's it's a different format. It's more, it's a different format from a novel. Although yep. it's a similar length to a novel as opposed to a feature film, which is like 
that's a 90 page script roughly speaking 90 minutes of show i mean you look at some of the novel adaptations they're usually two three hour things yeah and even still fans of the novel always complain i missed out so much but yeah, the first season of game of thrones for example was pretty close to the book yeah so I want, um, a couple of things on that i just want to say is um there actually is a making of the witcher and the showrunner, so she's the one that took the Witcher game idea. And the Witcher is also based on, uh, sorry, based on a, I'm pretty sure it's, Scan, is it Scandinavian? I I'm trying to remember. Czech. Czech. It's Polish? Yeah. And um, Polish, yeah, that's it. I'm pretty sure it's Polish. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a, an old myth of theirs um, as a story, like a myth yeah. of fable um, originally. So she kind of, delved into all that and then and then kind of took an angle of that and that became the show and then that's what she pitched to Netflix and stuff. So that's one thing. So that's an, that is available on Netflix. So you, sh- you should watch that. Because I watched it. It goes for about 20 minutes. Oh, not okay. very long. And uh, it's a really cool... I found it quite a good. Some of those making ofs are not that exciting because they just tend to be a bit wish-washy. Like a and, long ad. Yeah, yeah. They tend to be a long ad. Whereas that actually went into some detail and uh, I did enjoy The Witcher show, so I, I enjoyed that. Um, so that's one thing you should check out just because of what you're saying. The other thing is uh, what you... Blake Schneider always says that come up with your logline and then just pitch it to everyone. So I'm expecting your pitch. Oh, Maybe yeah. on the next Space Brains, we should I, get your pitch. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that, sure. <laughs> so get your logline going really well. And he says do that at coffee shops and do that at, you know, you just turn to the person next to you. Oh, do you want to hear a pitch? Um, if you really want to be getting good at pitching. The third thing is in Australia, the only way you're really going to get any sort of window at somewhere like Netflix is at the spa conference, which happens in Adelaide once a year. And so that's the Screen Producers Association. Um, there is opportunity to get there via Screen West here in WA and Screen Australia when you're a beginning filmmaker or whatever. Um, and there is competitions like they do do an open right. pitching. So you would go there and pitch in a room and you would be pitching to... So like a rap battle? Yeah. <laughs> Just like Eminem in 8 Mile, you'd be standing there and you've got to go off against another yeah, picture. Yeah, you, you walk up and, and you, you open with something <laughs> along the lines of, on a world ravaged by war, one man stood tall. <laughs> and the, the audience goes, no, no. Next, next person... Next. <laughs> next person says, you know, it's like, one man dared to stand... Next. And then you just go, in space. <laughs> no one can hear you scream. Okay. Mic drop. Yeah, that's right. And they go, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, exactly. So, it's like a pitch off. Uh, There is that as an opportunity when you're a total beginner. So, that's my advice to you, Space Brain 1. Sorry. Done. I'm I'm there. There you go. Once (laughs) I open the borders again, I'm... Yeah, well, I don't know what the deal is with COVID. Obviously, it's not happening at the moment, but it might. It might next year. This year was a bit of a fizzle. Uh, Okay, well, how about yourself? Sci-fi, you've you've got some short film success, but... Any sci-fi films? No sci-fi, but in terms of film, I just wanted to put it out there that yes, uh, so we've at the moment we're sitting at the memory has gone into seven film festivals, three successes, four failures, as in four non-acceptance, and then out of the three acceptances, one has given it an award. So that's pretty exciting. An honour. 
an honorary award, whatever that actually technically means. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I think that probably means you, you got to the shortlist. Yeah. Well, I, they have sent me an email saying, oh, if you want to receive your award, you know, send us money kind of thing in the mail, you know, if yeah. you want to receive the physical copy of the award. So, yeah, again, I'm not 100% sure what that means. I've, I've let everyone know on the crew and cast because we've got a little group chat and they're all super excited. Um, and then it's like, oh, when does it screen? And so, yeah, there's some more details coming up of that. So, yeah, and we've got a few more festivals for it to run. Uh, I'm super excited about the... WA Screen Awards, so I've entered it into that. That would be, I think, a really good opportunity for God. That's part of the revelation that's happened this year. It's all been postponed because of COVID, but it still is happening in the next couple of months. So, yeah, fingers crossed. So no science fiction, but definitely film-related. Definitely film-related. <laughs> that's what we do like. So what do you think is a reason for people to see Occupation Rainfall. I think the the reason, so it would be easy to say, you know, it's exciting, it's got great special effects, it's interesting. Yeah, that's pretty grey, sorry. But the problem is <laughs> a lot of films have that. So the question is, and this is this is much like the job interview question. Yeah, you know, why, why did you apply for this why job? Why would I hire you? Yeah, why it's... would I go spend... Fourteen dollars at the cinema. Well, I think it's more the case of you know why did you apply for this job? And the yeah. answer would be because you're offering a job, but like because <laughs> the movie's exciting. This isn't a job interview, damn it! But the why real, would I go and the see real question is, of all of the great science fiction films that have been released or able to be released, whatever? Why occupation? Mm. Certainly, as an Australian, the reason I'd go see it is because it is there's a genuine Australian flavour to it. Mm. Like it is unmistakably Australian, but it doesn't have it manages to avoid that sort of cheesy cornball type yeah like the scenery the the way the i don't know the color grading the 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 way the angles uh the locations make it look as valid as any other location you're like in the james bond film where it goes you know uh, somewhere in the Alps near Switzerland, yeah. and the camera flies through, and you go, "Yes, this. You know, I can expect a spy encounter here. Yeah. There's going to be some skiing action." This at a at a flyover scene of um, it just it must have been the the uh sort of like the the inner tablelands of New South Wales or was or, Blue Mountain, or Queensland right? or something, flying over, and yeah, it looked both familiar to me, like the type of terrain was familiar. Mm. Uh, but also a little bit alien, like the the colouring mm. on it, and uh, and seeing like these uh, alien so spaceships go past. It's it's a I don't know. It's, as an Australian, you just sort of feel like wow, it's like that actually looks really good. That makes me feel familiar and, and happy. This is a, something a movie that's happening in yeah. my place, my familiar zone. It's not you know somewhere in the fields of Wyoming, and I go. Where is that? <laughs> like in the middle of America somewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's, you may as well just said it's, it's on Mars. Yeah. And if you're not an Australian, here's an opportunity to see a side of Australian film that isn't Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann does these awesome like epics and interesting quirky tales and so forth. Presents Australia in a certain light, which is quite... Uh, I guess it, it has become... Either he made it traditional... Or he followed the tradition. I'm not sure which order that goes in, but this film 
this film gives you an insight into an Australian, you know, Independence Day style resistance where yeah. there's like an alien invading, but it, it's it's different. If you're like American or European, you're going to see this and you're going to go, I'm really intrigued by the culture being displayed and by the landscape mm. and the interactions that, that happen there. That's why you need to go see this. Yeah, I think the settings that Luke has created, I mean, even Sydney blowing up, you know, and, and being destroyed and stuff, uh, and the, all the battles that happen in the start of the film at Sydney, um, you know, it, 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 it looks, it kind of, you know, I mean, there's recognisable worldwide. I mean, again, you go to Independence Day, what do they do in Independence Day? When the spaceships blow up all the monuments around the world, they blow up Sydney. Yeah, there's... And it's, an it's opera that house. Yes, yeah, the opera house and it's the bridge and that. And uh, look, Luke used that at the end of the first film. And I think at the very start, you sort of see the, the opera house. Um, but And so that's fine. Like, I mean, how many American films start in New York and you see the Empire State Building? Or, or the, the flat iron. Yeah, the... you know, so, so that's fine. Like, it's given it a place. But then even as it progressed in the battle you know, it just looked like a big city, you know, that was worn torn, you know, and that that was really interesting to me. And then you're exactly right. Like the the way he takes us out to the outback and in New, New South Wales, he shows us a different style of yeah, New South Wales. Yeah, you're not going to see, as it, you won't it. see Crocodile Dundee strolling no, out. No, or Or a guy on a horse with a, and a Cobra and an oil skin on, mm. you know, that that's although you do see a guy with an Akubra and an oil skin. You do. There's this great scene with snow. Yeah. Well, and we love that one because, geez, what a contrast it is. Again, mm. typical Australian scenery does not include snowfall. No, no. Well, because it's not the norm, is it? it but we do have snowfall. We do. We do. Yeah. We've got we got ski fields. You can go skiing yeah. here. There's not. And I mean, even places. here in WA, that we don't have it in Perth, but. In our southwest, there's times that there is a bit of snow, you know, in Mount Bluff Knoll and um, in Albany and stuff, there can be a little bit of snow. So it's like, as a cinema experience, mm. uh, that's an interesting thing for a filmmaker, isn't and, it? And the, the also, I guess the contrast also from where they were fighting yeah. to the scene or two scenes that kind of happen in that snowy location, it's a really... Stark contrast. And it is because it it's kind of fire and snow, isn't it? So know, yeah, like... de- definitely get yourself along to see this particular exciting, high quality sci-fi film. Yeah, because of its unusual cultural uh, touch. Yeah, like the way the military acts and the way the people interact with each other, distinctly Australian. Mm. And you've got to see the film to understand what that means. Yeah, and and it's interesting because it's not the. You and I spoke a bit about like the way the military are in this film that it just, it seems the way that Australians speak to each other, like in the workplace. And when we've watched American, not maybe just science fiction films, but any American military films, it's all this kind of talking down to anyone within lower ranks in a military, like quite often the general talks down to everyone below him, doesn't he? And then the sergeant talks down to everyone below him. And, you, you know, as a, as an audience, you end up focusing in on the poor, just troops, you know, and that they're, they're our main characters, you know. And But in this film, it was almost like the way the ranks in the, in the army 
it was so Australian because they kind of were like, oh, come on, you know, and they, they spoke to each other like, oh, you know, this is what we're planning on doing and what do you think about that? And they, they incorporated each other more into it, didn't they? I don't know. It was, it's hard to put, it's really hard for me to put my exact finger on, but it just seemed like Australians in the workplace. Yeah, it, it which felt, was bizarre. Again, like, it felt more like I didn't realize how out of place I felt watching other nationality films. No. And you watch the Australian one, you see the way they deal with each other and they, they, the way conflict evolves and, and is resolved and the way decisions get made. And it just feels familiar, comfortable. Like, it does. Yeah, that, that really rings true. It does. Like, and, yeah. so, and, and that's why I think that's a great reason to see this film. Like, if it you're is. Australian, you'll get that sort of warm feeling without getting that sort of cringe of like, mm. oh, God. Yeah, because they're, they're not hamming it up. No, that's the you thing. Yeah, they're, they're not no real putting out. on the, the real broad Aussie awkward accent yeah. to try and yep. yeah, good day, mate. You know, and, and, may, and and maybe that's also part of it that um, to go to battle, there's no call for arms. There's no patriotic, hey, let's go fight these aliens. It's more like this is the job that's at hand. We need to do this. We need to get on with it, and then we need to go battle. Um, whereas I think we're, we're used to a lot of the time, uh, from American films anyway. And that's why it's always great when we've watched Chinese and Kuwait films and seeing these different experiences, uh, and anyone out there, they should, they should watch films from different cultures because you do get too influenced from maybe the American yeah. style where if these were Americans, we would have someone kind of calling everyone to action and saying, we have to go and battle. Today will be our independence day. (laughs) You know, know, this is for the greater good. Whereas here it was kind of more of a a lateral discussion and then, okay, yep, this is what we're going to go do. You know, like, yeah, we need to do this and who needs to come out and battle and who should stay. And and it was, and to me, it felt very um, Australian. It was funny. And um, I think Luke, lent into that Australian without it being, you're saying Crocodile Dundee, and I agree with that, but, it, yeah, without it being the Ocker stereotype of Australian, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which Although he threw a couple of really nice things there. Like, he uh, did. There was uh, still... Codename cool. Drop Bear. <laughs> so I, like, I like that one. Uh, Captain Wessex was a great <laughs> job. It's like we had a, uh, an Aboriginal Australian with a commanding position who is heroic. Yeah. And, you know independently heroic mm. so that's that's quite uh it it sounds it sounds like it shouldn't be the case but it is actually quite unusual in australian films mm. uh, that aren't about aboriginal stories yeah like this and is just an action film captain wessex was there he did his thing and you know what's so natural about that again is that there's no uh, there's no reference to him being Aboriginal. You know what I mean? Like it's recognisable. Yeah. He's Aboriginal. He's just Aboriginal, and he's just in the army, and this is his job. And and um, and even in the army perspective, that's very Australian. That Aboriginals have, or Indigenous Australians have served in our military since World War One, and there's been a lot of not recognition for their work. But then when you speak to people in the military, they're like, oh yeah, you know, this guy was Indigenous, and he was my best mate. But it's just like publicly or through the media, it's not being spoken about. Um, whereas, it, good on Luke here, you know, he's casted someone, he's created a character who is Indigenous, but he doesn't kind of draw attention to that. It's just he's Indigenous. 
Yeah, it's it's well, like his other characters in there. He's got, uh, you know, um, oh, what's her name? That's remember her name, uh, Simo's ex girlfriend, mm. for example. Uh, and you've also then got uh, uh, Timuera Morrison, and like it's like it's quite a, a multicultural class it cast is actually, in there. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And uh, Ken Jung, Ken Jung which, comes out of out of right. Uh, right field, left field. I know he's, he comes in. He he does a great job too. Yeah, he does. It's uh, it's great in that. So let's talk about a bit of an uh, overall narrative structure here. Like, what is that all about? So it's very um, chronological. It also flows on from the first one. First of all, I want to say because it is a sequel, we jump a couple of years into the future, which is what was to be expected. If you've seen the first one, please go back, listen to us talking about it after you watch it. Well worth looking at. It gives you a lot of context. Um, I don't know. I think you could probably watch this film without seeing the yeah. first, I but mean, it would be hugely benefit. The first will introduce, get, you get yeah. more richness. Like you've, you've Because seen the first, more. you know, we, we have done a spoiler previously, but the fir- and I'll spoil you here. But, you know, the first one is about, you know, this group of, survivors in Australia that some of them are in this sequel and um you know they fight this alien force and kind of take it back and they go to Sydney to kind of like then try to pull it back after winning the battle out in the bush kind of thing um uh and this one leads on from that a couple of years but what's really nice which we talked to Luke about and you know you and my interpretation from the first one was some themes of colonization which we've had in Australia and obviously in other Western world, but also themes of, well, we've, we've got this alien force coming in, but they're not just all soldiers. They're, you know, they're women and children, and they actually want to come here to then sort of and set up their own place. Apex predators. Apex predators. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, they're, they're not just like all bad guys. You know, like Luke gave them a little heart on the side of the overall arc in the first film. And there's a really nice moment that at the end of the first film that uh, one of the main characters, I'm forgetting her name as well. Yeah, I know. What's her name? What's her name? Like, uh, oh, I just, I just. She's uh, the main, she's a main. Yeah, she's one of the lead, main, really. Main <laughs> but she, she, instead of just like executing the aliens, she actually kind of says, oh, do you, you know, do these aliens want to join forces? And they do, you know, they're, they're willing to join forces. And this film then takes off, you know, being that two years later that in fact some of the aliens have come over to the human side. And we see that then that theme um, played out in the sequel to more of an extremity that, you know, like we have a character from the start that's part of the human troupe. Stephanie Jacobson. Stephanie. Stephanie. As Amelia. As Amelia. Yes. yes. Amelia. Sorry, Stephanie, if you're listening. Um, yeah. Amelia. And if you are listening, get in touch. Yes. We'd love to talk to you about this film. Definitely. Fantastic. Amelia is quite amazing in this sequel, isn't she? Because she's taken that level of empathy to a whole other level. She's the um, heart, isn't she? Yeah, and, and she keeps kind of pulling the human consciousness back to where we probably all of us would like the human consciousness to be. Um, I did think it's funny in this film how open she is to the refugee aliens 
And I actually thought, well, the Australian government's pretty rough on refugees that are humans, uh, let alone oh, aliens. Yeah. So I thought she would have an uphill battle. So I'm not surprised that, you know, what, what we do to the aliens in this film in a way, um, especially when you put a general in charge of them, you know. Wing um, commander. Yeah, wing commander. Um, Again, so, that's an Australian ring. It is an Australian ring. Um, so, yeah, I found it interesting that that was the case. But the overall narrative here is very chronological. It flows on. It explores those themes of colonisation, what that really means in this context. Again, I'm not going to give that away, but what that means to the alien invading force, like why they've come here, um, and also what that, when you have a powerful invading force, you know, and you could see symbols maybe to the US going to Iraq or Afghanistan when they come into an invading force and then what the force that exists, so in this context, the Australians, what they do against that invading force and that that can also surprise the more powerful um, invasion. Uh, And then also the other side that maybe not everyone is on that same page of invasion is the best thing ever. You know, like, can't we kind of get, can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah, like we got, we got a big planet. We got a big planet. Australia's a big country. You guys can move in here. It's all right. I'll be your neighbour. <laughs> if you buy my house. If you buy my house, as long as the property prices stay the same. <laughs> well, with that many new people coming in, the property prices would jump up. Oh, my goodness. I'd become wealthy. Yes. You would. And there'd be more jobs because surely the aliens need certain things, you know, services and products. Chrome polishing. Yeah, they need their little space outfits. Like, yeah, those red LED glowy things don't just shine themselves. No, they don't. And the aliens themselves, you know, they probably need a little bit of, you know, massaging and recreational usage and drinking and all those kind of things. They need to listen to podcasts. They need to listen to podcasts. So, you know, yeah. So, yeah, that's my take on the narrative structure. It's not anything. Out of the uh, out of surprises, nothing's going to be super. You know, Luke has done nothing to the standard narrative structure. You know, as a beginning, middle, end, it flows on from the sequel. But I like the themes that he's kind of gone down and explored. He's he's added a couple of talking points in there because he was mm. he was saying that in his story creation, he likes likes the idea of having. Throwing little talking points in. So when you come away from the film, there's kind of little bits to think about or talk about. And I, I think he's done that well in this one. There's a few in there. like Without lecturing. You know, yeah, like there's a few in there about saying, like... This is exactly what it's about. Like refugee treatment, for example. Yeah. He's, he's not... He's not hammered us with that. It's no. just there's a bit in the film and it makes perfect sense in the yeah. film. And, and, and even on that, like... Where would I always find? Because I've seen this in other films, not necessarily in Aliens, but I always find that there's a moral dilemma that the wing commander represents one side and Amelia represents the other side, and then that we as an audience, you, you kind of you're left thinking, what would you do in that situation? Shows like The Walking Dead with zombies have done the same theme exploration. You know, it's like if you if you were in that world that's broken down, what would you do? You know, because again, it's it's easy to judge it from our world, but we're in a safe world. You know, like we're we're generally very safe. Whereas as soon as you put humans, you know, their backs against the wall, your decision making is going to be very different. 
Yeah, I have a feeling I'd probably play fewer computer games. <laughs> I'd pilot more drones. Yeah, unfortunately, the podcast may not happen. We could do it, but the content would change. <laughs> We're like, not ha- talking about the movies. We're talking about what's banging on your glass door out there. Sorry. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a golden There's a retriever. laser gun. <laughs> Something has just eaten my golden retriever. <laughs> well, no more barking during the podcast recording, at least. There is. So this film was... Written and directed by Luke. He also edited this film. Up until the last split second before we watched it. There was a social media post, uh, I think it was Wednesday to Thursday at 2am that he was handing in this version of the film, which is pretty last minute, when then you and I watched it Friday, Friday, 7pm. So within within a 24 hour window almost. Um, so that's really tight and we did get a special, uh, warning before the film from Luke saying that, you know, the special effects are 99.9% done, but he's still going to do a little bit more work. Um, and we also got a message from Daniel Gillies, who plays the wing commander. We got a horizontal filming, ah, is that still recording? We got a horizontal filming from this actor telling us how good Luke was and how amazing he could make $5 look like $5 million, which we agree with, and uh, also wishing us luck and wishing he could be in the cinema with us. But he couldn't because he's in the States. Was he in Melbourne? He is in the States. Oh, okay. I I don't know where he was just... International travel in particular is quite harsh. Uh, yeah, slow. because he's a he's a pretty big actor. This guy. Yes, I I've seen him before. Yeah, he's um, in a long running TV show about vampires called The Outsiders, and he's been in a bunch of other TV and um, films over the years. He's New Zealand, he's from New Zealand. New Zealand, but I think probably done a fair bit of work in Australia. I'm sounding a bit... <laughs> That's a bit that we'll see if they pick it up in there. <laughs> We've gone down because we were talking about District 9 before. Um, yeah, but we got a special message from him, which was kind of... Yeah, it made it a bit more of a vibe, didn't it, that we're sitting down to watch this film. And um, But anyway, let's talk about some of the other cast. We've got Tamira Morrison, Once Were Warriors. He backs it back up in this film. Uh, we've got Jason Isaacs. Ken Jong comes in and plays a little role. And it was very interesting because Luke told us that he recorded the Ken Jong scenes like 12 months earlier. Just um, like a few weeks after Occupation was the first done. first came out, yeah. He, so. he, he, I think he got, uh, he got some advanced screening to some the right people and they went, yeah. hey, that's cool. That's cool. Let's get Ken in there and make yeah, so, a sequel. So that, that must have been the, uh, the old continuity um Checking would have been hardcore there because you obviously don't notice that the the film opens with kind of a bit of a, a teaser scene. It does, yeah. Of flashes back. Ken Jung's character, you know, revealing, walking down a corridor and saying, and welcome type of thing. And you go, I don't know what that means. And then right towards the end of the film, we get a repeat of that we scene from a slightly it, different yeah. angle. And you realize that, that that was filmed 18 months or 12 months earlier. And it's just, mm. It's uh, pretty good. Yeah, and then good old Dan Irwin reprises his role as Matt Simo, Lawrence McKen- um, yeah, Mac- McKay, I think. 
um, Mark Cole Smith and David Roberts. So, yeah. Gillies is uh, Gillies is in the originals. I was going out. Yeah, the originals. That's originals. The, the oh, did I say outcast? You said the outcast. Oh, yeah. sorry. That's the vamp, Vampire Diaries of some yeah, sort. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's the, the originals, isn't it? Not the outcast. Thinking of another show. Um, but there's a massive crew and cast involved in this. Go check out IMDb. It's lists everyone down from the sound design to um, you know. Uh, assistants in different departments, makeup, uh, special effects. So huge crew for occupation. So Luke has helped a lot of people get a bit of employment during COVID or pre-COVID. Well, he was <laughs> saying that he excited. had a bit of an advantage there because a lot of special effects people were kind of put on hold from other jobs. So he had access to some of the top talent. And that came through, I think. So what about a on our ladder, sorry? What are you thinking for this occupation, Rainfield? What are you going to put on your ladder? Oh, my God, this is a hard one. It's always a hard one. And we are going to revisit this ladder when we get to episode 50. And, uh, he says, quickly looking at his ladder. Because he does, because he's not too sure where it sits on He didn't ladder. have it up. He had it up earlier, but not now. For me, it's going to come in. So this is for Mark's ladder. It's going to come in at about number eight. It's going to blast out a few of the other ones. Oh, yeah, geez, this is a hard one because it's up in the territory with Iron Mother and Interstellar and yeah. and Tau and Passengers, like some of the big heavy hitters there, Snowpiercer. Um, and I agree, yeah, it's coming in with them for me as well. So uh, I think it, for me it's coming in at about number eight. Yeah, I, I want to tie it. The new number eight. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Grant. Yeah, Iron Mother has dropped down one rung. Oh, you're gonna push Ooh, off Iron it's, Mother. It's it's hard, and that's that's only because Rainfall just portrays Australia. Iron Mother could have been anywhere. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Iron Mother didn't have to be but, Australia. But because this was a science fiction Australia, and I've never seen Australia portrayed like this before. This is similar to the the who does was it Ben C- Ben C. Lucas doing his uh, uh, other world, yeah, yeah, where which was a portrayal of Perth I'd never seen before, which yeah, is it's true. great. So it's, it's that it's that same sort of thing. I was watching that that one film in Perth and surrounds, and you get that recognisable feeling, but it was a a new version science fiction. It's a technological city, you know, like it was it was not a future city really, but it was it got you the feeling it was a modern, you know, proper city and. Similarly, this one presents, here's Australia. It can be the scenery of these large-scale alien invasion films. Like, mm. yeah, so it's it's a tough one. As, as I said, we're probably going to have to revisit our ladder and, and figure out a better way of placing things. But Yeah, I think so. I think we need to kind of – I mean, I don't necessarily think about reordering my list, but I just think we need to – reimagine our lists in a in a bit of a different approach but for me it's coming in i kind of you know we watched passengers as our episode one and that really is the example of a great hollywood funded well produced slick script beautiful looking film yeah but then when you start to look into like jennifer lawrence being paid 20 million dollars and What's his face? Chris Pratt. <laughs> Chris it, Pratt. it was twelve million or something. Yeah, he was a bit less because he was kind of coming out of Parks and Rec. But he, he between wasn't quite, them, between but, them, they 
probably doubled or tripled I think, occupation I think it's rainfall. At least triple what the budget of this film, and then when you and that's think just the actors, that, yeah, yeah. And then when you think about that, like when you really do think about that, you kind of go, "Oh, this film is pretty damn bloody good for the fact that they, you know, what they've pulled off cinematic wise." Uh, and and emotional wise compared to that film, so therefore it's like oh, I think it, for me it's like it has to be above Passengers. You know, and so, we're, we're saying so, that with yeah, Revolt as well. Revolt yeah. was a five or six million dollar film, low budget, and that blew us away. And you, you could have squeezed like six of them out for the same, mm. just for the price of the actors in yeah, in these and other it, films. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think any action film. You're saying Michael Bay. I mean, any action film out there now, like or over the last five years, the battle scenes that we see in Occupation Rainfall's Rainfall would match that. Absolutely. You know, the way the planes, the, the decisions that Luke has made going from one, you know, plane to another and sh- and revealing that action to us uh, in a particular order is, is just as good as anything I've seen for quite a few years now. Absolutely. So, we mentioned Independence, though, that yeah. had some f- fight, dog fights. Yeah, dog fights. I, this, this stuff here was as good or better. It's, it's again, probably better just because it's newer. But Yeah, it took inspiration from some of the Star Wars scenes. Like yeah. Some of the camera angles and the way the, the pilots were talking in their cockpits yeah. was very... And I believe Star Wars took its inspiration from some of the original World War Two. Yeah, it did. Like Howard Hughes-era mm, yeah. films where, where they were just starting to figure out how to film... Aeroplanes. Yeah, aeroplanes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's a lot of kind of homage that way. What about any science, sorry? Is there anything uh, from Occupation Rainfall? There is something I would love to talk about because it is fascinating, but I'm afraid it might be considered a spoiler in this film. Oh, no. I know. It's terrible. Well, don't do it. So I've, I, I <laughs> can't... Uh, I can't the whole really. Back. I know. I'm going to have to hold this one back until more a people see the film. Our huge audience is going to be extremely upset because it is. It is a really interesting point in this film, for me at the very least, because it really fired my imagination. We had so many, you know, possible scenarios or or outcomes or how how everything falls into place in this movie. Other people, maybe it's not so interesting or important. <laughs> But it is, it is, a, it's, it's absolutely the case. But I suppose an interesting point was that they brought with them uh, their entire civilization. Yeah. And now this is, uh, this is something we've considered as humans mm. in colonizing the stars because on the basis you can't travel faster than light and it appears that these aliens cannot travel faster than the speed of light. Yeah. You have a problem that for us to get to our nearest star take let's call it a thousand years or thousands of years you know that one to four thousand years somewhere in that region and that's kind of being a bit optimistic it could be you know a couple more times a couple more thousand than that and that's just the nearest star and we don't even know if that's got a habitable planet it probably doesn't yep there's something some estimate around uh it's basically one uh i was reading today actually i was going to talk about it but about a half of all suitable sized stars that we have, like yeah. our star, have rocky planets in the Goldilocks zone. Mm. So there's somewhere in the region of 300 million or 300 billion potentially habitable worlds. Yep. But the nearest one suitable for human habitation yep. might still be 
thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, years travel. Away, yeah. So how on earth do you even consider that? And you'd only consider it in the case like in occupation where their home world is destroyed. Yeah. And that's what we learned in occupation. One, the reason they turn up to earth is because their home world is destroyed. Yeah. And it's, it shouldn't come as a surprise then that they've brought everything with them. Yeah. Their entire civilization has come with them. It's not just uh, a scout force. It's everyone. And, and everything. And so that's... that's <laughs> and so that, that's, All the baggage comes yeah, along. Everything has come along. <laughs> and so that's something we've talked about. We, we humans is this idea of a, a generation ship where the people who get on board the ship and take flight take it, yeah. aren't the people who land on the colony ship. Like, mm. in fact, some unknown number of generations look after the spaceship on its travel and when they arrive there, they probably have like um, frozen embryos or, or some sort of way of reconstructing human DNA yeah. or cloning yeah. or something. And then repopulate a mm. population there. So it's kind of like, like Iron Mother. Yeah, it's like a it's a it's a um, species saving maneuver, not a civilization saving maneuver. Like, Correct. Like the Australian nation would not survive mm. that passage. In fact, you would have to necessarily not have Earth, you know, nations doing that because we would fight. It would have to be something else. And in doing that, of course. I think Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy even had it as well. You take everything with yeah. you because you don't know this planet. Is it barren? Is it like a proto-Earth where it hasn't really developed life? And even if it has developed life, is its biology compatible with ours? Would we be able to eat food there? Mm. You know, if you if you ate the local, you found something that was kind of like wheat, you may not be able to digest it at all. No, no. Not, not to mention it could be toxic. So you've got to bring everything. Yes, entire ecosystem you're going to have to bring with you and supplant. And in this film, of course, we do get to see a bit of that where there's um, there's some like horse-like animals that they there have is. that they ride around on. There is um, some like, I think there was some like dog-type things that were in yep. the first couple of scenes. And certainly during the film later on, we see a couple of the other very interesting creatures which have been come along and the question is asked, why the hell did you bring this with you? And the answer was, well, we brought everything. Mm. And we even see like a, a little sneak peek of a, a little bug creature. Yeah, we do. Which clearly is something else. So I, I thought that was very interesting that that level of detail has gone into in this world building where it's like, yeah, they've brought everything, not just their troops, not mm. just their troops and their troops' families or all their people. Mm. They've brought their livestock and their plants, yeah, and, and I'd like to see how that's going to evolve in Rainfall Part Two, and and into the yeah, possibly world. three or whatever. It's it's an, that whole science idea is interesting because definitely as humans, we currently store a lot of um, species and plants, whatever, so animals and plants, we store them in scientific ways. Mm. Uh, so, because we know things have gone extinct and all that, you know, all this sort of stuff. Western Australia is a very unique um, biodiversity place, and I have seen that they, you know, we we have a branch of a of government department that they 
they have got all of the West Australian native plants, for example, not animals, but they've got them all uh, securely um, within a facility. Mm. And the point of that is if there's an outbreak of some other uh, uh, virus against plants or if nature determines because maybe of global warming, whatever, scientists are kind of going, yeah, we should protect all these things. We need seedlings just in case, kind of worst case scenario. Well, that's part of what the the King's Park Botanic Gardens Correct. does is they is sit it, there and, and just propagate them and, yeah. and they keep, they put them out on display they in the do. gardens, but they have their own nurseries there, which... Correct. And I also saw a thing with David Attenborough said the same thing happens in England where they've got this protected biodome thing, wherever it is in England, and within that biodome they've got like all of the unique uh, plants that are, belong to England, you know what I mean? And the scientists or botanists or whatever you call them are there to make sure that they survive so that whatever happens out in nature, they still have the very unique DNA of these plants. Um, so when you talk about this idea of like humans propelling <laughs> out into space, it is a, it, on one side of the fence, you kind of go, yeah, but wouldn't you just send humans? But then you can also see that argument of like sending DNA of plants and animals mm. and stuff like this. Um, and so it's very interesting that in Occupation Rainfall, Luke has included a version of that from the alien point of view. Um, but then in everything you just said, it's all—it's also like, yeah, but would you send like a blue whale? Like, Well, if you liked like Star Trek 4, you would. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I get that. But it's, it's kind of like, geez, that would take a lot of effort, wouldn't it? And like what? So you get to this planet that's barren and there's no water. And back on the spaceship, you've got a freaking blue whale, you know, <laughs> or two of them or three Why of them. It's like, geez, like, that took a lot of freaking energy to get the blue whale to come here and we can't even, we can't release it. It's not like you just release the dogs and they run around, you know. It's like, ah, oh, geez, we made a mistake with that. <laughs> yeah, go find that water planet on. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and so, mate, of course we would, as humans, look for a water planet, but it just... Like, it does make you question the scientific... Like, you can imagine sending the DNA and saying, well, we can recreate the DNA and create another whale or, you know, or we have a, I don't know, a baby blue whale, even though that would still be massive, but, like, we have one in cryo... Just, well, no, chopping the small bits and squishing <laughs> them into cans and just having... Yeah, canned, we can eat them, that's sure. Canned sure. blue like, whales. Was that part of it? It's like, well, if we get to the planet and there's nothing that we can digest, as you said before, we got the blue whale. <laughs> Fried up in the barbie, bit by bit. Years of food there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a, fu- it's a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, so to, I, some I ex- love... to some extent, I think there would be that it's purely for scientific curiosity and not yeah. practical purposes. Or like a great white shark. So you, you bring great white sharks on the ship in a tank to another planet and then release them. <laughs> Did we not learn anything from the English coming to Australia and like releasing the frogs and the cane? No, we're and... still, we're still doing that. <laughs> like we're never going to get it. And even, even that's what I'm talking about with all that plant stuff. Like there's plants here that are viruses to our local plant community. They would be better if they were not here. And like, yeah, we'd be like, no, we're going to a new planet. Let's take all our animals and flora and fauna. Fuck you, planet. Well, you can, you can imagine from the, the green point of view, though, is if Earth were, let, let's say there was a, a, 
as an asteroid strike. Yeah. It's going to, like, Decimate nothing everything. will be yeah. left on Earth. Yep. And we've got, you know, some number of years to prepare, so we build a big arc ship. Yep. Put everything on it. You'd, you'd get some people sort of saying, okay, we've got all the humans on there. We get the human important crops on there because yeah. that makes sense because we don't sense. know if we're going to be able to... In fact, we've got to say that um, even if there were stuff we could eat there, it, we wouldn't, it wouldn't be domesticated. We wouldn't yeah. know how to grow it, yeah. uh, let alone prepare it. So we, we should take food, take, food, wheat take and, some yeah. medicine plants yeah. that we can derive yeah, medicine from. Yeah. And you know, we've got to take a few supporting insects and stuff to... Yeah. Like pollinate yeah, and someone totally get that, but then you're going to get to the point where it's like there's the the great white shark and people are going well, we kind of do we do we need to take that like yeah. that's a lot of room, and you get one argument sort of saying if we don't take this great white shark, there will be no great white sharks left in the universe, yeah, and it will be our choice to have destroyed them all, yeah, like as yeah through inaction we will be dooming yeah. them to extinction, yeah, is that a right thing to do. And, <laughs> and if you weigh up and you go, well, you know, I guess we've got the room. Yeah. I was hoping to sort of have like some extra mushroom farms there, but a few gray white sharks. Yeah, I mean, I get the green argument. The green argument would be keep every single thing because every single thing deserves to live. But it's also like, how far does that go? <laughs> to, like we don't, the great white sharks, not much good to eat. And I've got nothing against the Great White Shark, by the way. Just want to put it on the record. It's fine. It's it's very important in the human. But they habitat. are truly not terribly practical from a human point. No, of view. from a human point of view, on a new planet that you're trying to settle, are they very practical? You could have smaller sharks. You could have smaller sharks, more practical because they clean and they like you know they filtrate easier and stuff, to transport and just easier to transport. You can have so many more of them. And the same thing with the blue gray, the, the blue whale. You the said blue going, whale. we could bring smaller whales. Maybe we some little minky whales. We minky whale still does stuff. A bunch of them, you know, like yeah. And do, they don't even have a place in the future ecosystem. No. But the thing is, you never know. Never know. Maybe they do. But then, of course, if we had the technology just to ship them off in some ark, well, at the, then I'd probably say, well, no worries. Yeah. Who Why cares? Not? Well, <laughs> probably the people's planet that you're going to drop great white sharks on. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. We don't have nothing like this on our planet. Why the hell did you bring this thing? Well, we brought everything. Our most dangerous <laughs> sea creature is this yeah. cute little dolphin thing. Well, you know, you take the box jellyfish, you know, it's like super deadly to a yeah, human. Yeah, Irukandji. Yeah, but it yeah. is just tiny, so that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It's easy. Yeah. Yeah, we'd have to say, do we say viruses? Yeah, viruses. Yeah, do we take AIDS with it? Yeah. Do we take bacteria? Like, do we purposefully take, um, you know, Cholera. The, the hepatitis? <laughs> do we just actually take it and release it? Yeah. Where's the ethical boundary there? Yeah. You get to a certain point where it's just kind of, oh, well, you know. I mean, the virus is like this big. You'd be in a test tube. But a great white shark, it's pretty big. And it needs a bit of room. You could infect a few people with viruses. Like you could. The, yeah. the human papillona virus. You could just, a few a lot of, most people have that. that are allowed on the ark have to have the virus. Yeah, you got to make sure. Have you got herpes? Yeah. Yep. Okay, we've got, some, we've got a couple of people with herpes. You're coming with herpes. Well, actually about 98% of the human population has herpes, as it turns out. <laughs> you two are coming on board, but you can't talk to anyone else on the board because by the time we get to this planet, you get to help. Have you all got herpes? We all got it. Yeah, no, like, what happened? Well, uh, we well, orgy, it's hard you know. to keep social distancing <laughs> on a spaceship, you know. You know, we got bored. We all had sex with each other at some point on the 17-year expedition to the new I, planet. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, I think we should probably conclude our discussion of the uh, 
Sp- we probably space herpes orgies. <laughs> space herpes. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other movie, actually. Yeah, it's, it uh, what was it called? Ice Pirates. Have you seen Ice Pirates? No. Oh, yeah, you oh we should do that as an we episode. Do Ice, that's got space herpes. <laughs> yeah, so, we should. We should. Okay, okay so there we go. So um, not entirely sure when this film is going to be in larger distribution. If you manage to get to see it at Monster Fest, yeah. then you're Good only you. blessed few. <laughs> It got sold out in New South Wales and Queensland, as I Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think they couldn't show it in Victoria. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't get it out. No, they, yeah. No, it, it, it sold, sold out in a number of them. Um, Perth, we were able to get our tickets in early. We were, but there was a good crowd. It was comfortable there. Uh, and I can see that this film, like, if, if, you like, if they can get it in front of the right people, mm. they'll just go, yes. Yeah, particularly at the moment, there's not a lot on coming up for Christmas in terms of action films. Like when we're at the cinema, you're looking at the posters of upcoming films. Yeah, there's not much happening, and they're pretty dull looking. And and I I do apologise to the filmmakers. I'm sure they're excellent films, Mm. but rather normally coming up to this sort of time where we're approaching Christmas. Yeah, there's no the big blockbusters. There's there's no James Bond. There's no. Um, Star Wars, there's no Harry Potter or yeah. one of these sort of Marvel. You know, there's there's none of these big blockbuster things no. being advertised. No, it's uh, it's just like the Madame the Marie Curie story, and there's three five five, which I can't, I don't know what that was about, but yeah. There's definitely more of the, you know, independent and smaller films. And, uh, you know, this is all you need is one of the big distributors to pick this film up. You get this one here. You get the right person look at it and go, oh, holy cow, that's actually really good. Yep. And bam. We do. So go out, see it. uh, Let us know what you think about it. Hit us up on our Twitter, our Facebook and our Instagram just pretty much look for Space Brains podcast. I don't think you can miss us In fact, I've, just, I've done some Google search I'd be checks. Surprised if, if you, you can't. search Space Brains, <laughs> we are now the top six or five with most of the top page. <laughs> yeah, we're like number four down the list. There's so many Space Brains out there. But yeah, no, you'll be able well, to find there us. Is, there is like a gathering of artists or there something. Is. Some and we're going to go to that one day, sorry, yeah, and just okay. tell them off for us. We will incorporate them. No, we'll bring it in. We'll be part of it. But, uh, yeah, let us know what you think about Occupation Rainfall. And if you're from monster movies, monster films, let us know if you can when and where this might get a wider cinema release. Because we'd love to tell people about it. We would. So that will be it. And our next episode coming up is Surrogates. Surrogates. It's a good film. No. Sorry, sorry, get space herpes. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, stay tuned for surrogates when you see sorry with space herpes. There we go. You heard it here. First, first, first place to hear it. See ya. See ya. Bye.